Let's make you YouTube famous. You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Marketing your voiceover business is the way you grow your voiceover business. And in order to be a confident and effective marketer, I have created tons of resources that are available to you at VOpreneur.com, both free and premium. Head to VOpreneur.com and look for past episodes of the podcast. Check out upcoming live streams for Free Advice Friday. And of course, don't forget to check out the premium masterclasses and coaching content. Your guide through the business of voiceover is at VOpreneur.com. That's VOpreneur.com. The Vopreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. YouTube has 2.5 billion users worldwide. It's the second largest search engine on the internet behind Google. And people are literally watching a billion hours of video every day on the platform. So what does that mean? It means there is an opportunity out there for the voice actor who can come up with an idea, find an audience, and create content. But then, how do you do that? Well, here to help us figure that out is someone who knows a thing or two about YouTube, having previously worked with Mr. Beast. In addition to being a successful voice actor, he is also a producer, a director, a content consultant whose clients include Nike, Google, Sony Pictures, and more. Welcome back to the show, Hunter Peterson. Hello, Mark. It's so good to be back. It is good to be back and good to be discussing YouTube again. I, we did, I'm trying to think, it's been about a year and a half, two years oh, since gosh. we did our interview? Yeah. So actually, the last time, I remember when our podcast came out, the podcast that we did together, I was actually, <laughs> this is so very YouTube, I rented uh, two Tesla Model S plaids for a video, and I was listening to the podcast as I was driving to set with these cars to shoot a YouTube video. That was January of 2022. There you go. So it, yeah. it's it's been a minute and I can tell you I still haven't figured out YouTube. I'm I'm definitely yep. getting more views now than I was I was getting before, Good. but but I still haven't cracked the code and so I'm Good. really looking forward to diving in because I mean if there's one thing that we know about YouTube it's that nothing stays the same very rarely on on the channel. Things are things are always changing, the algorithm constantly Correct. changing and so Correct. I'm looking forward to getting into this. So good. Your personal YouTube channel mm -hmm. has over 20,000 subscribers. You've got hundreds of thousands of views. Mm -hmm. Your YouTube resume is, is pretty impressive, but let's start with the story of how you acquired your YouTube knowledge. It's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, right? Because I can, I can look back on this from multiple different perspectives. The first being when my brother and I started making YouTube videos that were utterly terrible in 2006, 2007, when the platform was just in its infancy, yep. right? And so, you know, I grew up on YouTube, like the OG kind of like sure. prehistoric era of like original Smosh, the filmmaking channel that inspired me to become a filmmaker, Indie Mogul, um, the original uh, multi-channel network companies like Net Next New Networks. Um, that also had Indie Mogul or Threadripper or a bunch of other early YouTube channels. And this is before even the platform was fully monetized. There was AdSense, but it wasn't to the degree where it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'd like to say that 
some of my earliest knowledge came from that. But even then, I had not cracked YouTube. Yep. I had friends in high school who, you know, they had, you know, maybe 10,000 10, views, 20,000 views. In, oh gosh, I was a junior in high school and I covered Dead Mouse's Ghosts and Stuff. Great song, by the way. Go listen to it. I, it's like one of my top played songs <laughs> ever. I run miles to that song. I played it on a pipe organ and Dead Mouse saw it in it went viral. It did like 150,000 views. Well, that like, certainly helps when it, well, when, it, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know how to make it sustainable. How do I right? do it more than once? Yeah. How do I do it more than once? And so that's when YouTube kind of fell off for me for a very long time up until, you know, flash forward to 2018 when as being a voice actor, I'm starting to get hired to voice YouTube content. So infographic show, Raid Shadow Legends. Unfortunately, a lot of people know me because of that, which is a blessing and a curse. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm still I'm <sighs> Raid Shadow Legends is just like I feel like I get post-traumatic stress disorder anytime <laughs> I talk about it. But that said, um, producing content on camera and behind the camera for YouTube in particular, for Raid Shadow Legends in 2019, really kind of got me thinking about YouTube in general. Flash forward, because of Raid's meme status, uh, I then get hired to voice memes on YouTube. What a with job. a channel called, I know, right? What a, what a world. <laughs> it's just me reading memes, and my business partner is a 20-year-old who has another channel with 2 million subscribers. Oh my gosh. And that channel where it's literally just a robotic voice reading memes, that's the main channel, it's pulling like $400,000 a month. That that's channel was insane. earning, it was insane. That said, Limonade, which was the human version of Memonade, the parent channel, was me. And that's really where I kind of hit the ground running of figuring out CTR, AVD, of being in it, because if I was a better host, if I was to better understand data and leverage that with my own innate creativity, I could get bigger and bigger audiences. So on Limonade, I think our most viewed video is like north of like four or five million wow. views. Um, the channel averages about 10 million views a month across all of our content. And recently, like I took some time off and I also took off time uh, on Limonade when I was working at Mr. Beast because I'm really of the opinion right now of if you don't have something to say, don't say it. Sure. Take time to actually watch and listen to content. And this also applies to voiceover. This applies to anything in general. Sure. By taking that time off, I was able to really look at content that was actively going viral, actively getting pushed for everyone, and then starting to figure out by process of elimination, my own research, talking to more people, following you know, different retention strategists and all that of, you know, really starting to understand how YouTube actually works. And right. that was supercharged by being head of production at Mr. Beast, where I could leverage what I had already learned being a part of Limonade and SCP Explained and a bunch of other YouTube channels and also my own production experience by going to USC Film School. Right. So, you know, long roundabout an answer, but my process to how I have built what I have built, it's been entirely trial and error. Yeah. No one can actually teach this. You have to go out and do it yourself. Experiment. Exactly. Follow the data. 100%.
I've got uh, I've got an 11 year old nephew who recently mm. started a YouTube channel, and he he posted a meme, like literally a Let's short, go. right? Just Let's a short go. meme. And it got like 5,000 views and he was so excited and he's like, yep. I think he's already picking out the Ferrari that he's going to buy because he's convinced that he's going to be an absolute millionaire, right? Well, he's, he's, like, he's so ready to go. So I'll, I'll tell you, if he's only doing shorts, his revenue opportunities are low. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be so rich. This is going to be so amazing. Like we were just having this conversation a couple of weeks ago and I, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. I was like, yeah, let me tell you about my experience on mm. YouTube. But so, so let's talk about shorts though, because yeah. It is the, the the shiny new object on YouTube. Um, obviously, YouTube sees what's going on on TikTok and, and doesn't want to get left behind. It's the same reason right. why Instagram has doubled down on Reels. Right. So what do we need to understand about shorts? How do we make those work for us? So I, I think that is actually a, a really good question because shorts on YouTube, shorts on TikTok, Reels, whatever... It's constantly changing. YouTube only very recently has monetized shorts. And yep. by recently, I mean February of this year. Yeah, I think Up I've made like 12 cents. It's amazing. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Like for me, my RPM, my revenue per millier, or how much net I'll make per thousand views, on Limonade, it's like 75 cents per thousand views. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but earlier this year when the program started, it was 35 cents. Right. So as YouTube begins to understand how people are engaging and watching content, that's then kind of the next step. So let's let's talk about strategy in general around content of why is someone going to watch your content rather than anything else? And this can apply to shorts. This can apply to longs. It all comes down to what is your hook? What in yeah. the first three to five seconds is going to get someone to stop and actually engage with your video? So yep. I started a channel earlier this year called Intres, I-N-T-R-E-S, where I only wanted to talk about historical facts and, you know, different things in history that I found interesting. Intres, ha ha ha, okay. funny. Yep. And I started every single video with either a declarative statement or a question. Yep. So a video that we did that went pretty viral on TikTok was who was the homeless Canadian leatherman, right? I phrased it as a question. Yep. In the first three seconds, by asking that question, the subconscious approach of anyone who's watching content is going to be, who was that? Yeah, right? now, now, I, now I need to know. Now you want to know, yep. right? So whenever you're watching short form content or shorts, Whenever you find yourself watching more than, say, five seconds and you're not just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, stop and ask yourself, why am I watching this? Yep. What about this got my attention? Is yep. it a show that you like? Is it an idea? Is it a topic that you wish you knew more about? Or is something somewhere got your attention? The hook is the most important part of a video. Yep. But then on top of that, if you hook your audience you need to give an immediate promise and you need to execute on the promise. You need to deliver on your promise in this piece of content yep. because otherwise no one is going to care. If I ask you a question of who was the homeless Canadian leatherman and then I tell you about just homeless people in general and I don't actually tell you who that person was, yep. then I, I have incorrectly defied your expectations and I've made clickbait. 
right? You've eroded trust as well. That's right? correct. I've yeah. eroded trust in my audience. The biggest thing whenever you're producing content, shorts, longs, whatever you're doing, you need to understand what your audience is actually looking for and respecting your audience's wishes, whatever they want, what they're actually looking for. So a really good example is for your podcast, right? I think the easiest thing for you to figure out of like, what is the content I should actually be making? Go into your most viewed videos, sort by most popular, most viewed over time. Doesn't, doesn't matter when it was uploaded. Just look at the most popular ones and look at the top five or top 10. Start looking at why those videos performed. What were the topics? What were, how did you produce them? That is actually the greatest litmus test for any piece of content because the bigger thing in YouTube retention or content retention in general is not just any single guru will say this, and I think it's stupid, CTRAVD, click-through rate, average view duration, that means you're viral. Yep. Not exactly, because you're entirely forgetting about the idea of remarkability. Sure. Is your content actually good, right? If you're producing shorts, for example, right, and you decide that you're going to do a similar thing that I'm doing, talking about historical facts or talking about fun facts, yep. and they're either things that people have already talked about or something that is so incredibly niche it's not actually going to engage a wider audience. Think about a funnel, right? If you're super down here in the funnel, you are ignoring 80, 90% of the potential viewers that could be coming into your channel right. and constantly building your audience. It's not to say that you can't do niche ideas, but it's that you need to understand what your audience is actually expecting from you. Sure. So your remarkability of how good your content is or how remarkable your ideas come from or are simply come from you understanding what your viewer is actually looking for. That's it. Like that's short strategy in general. So like if you look at Mr. Beast's shorts strategy right now, his remarkability, like what makes Jimmy Jimmy is because he is able to inject spectacle yeah. at the highest yep. level because of his urn. No one who's listening to this podcast with maybe some very few exceptions can produce content at that level or that production value, right? Yeah, sorry, folks. I got yeah, nothing sorry. for you. <laughs> mm, my bad, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, how can you then find your own remarkability? That's his remarkability. And yep. he's now doubling down on short strategies that in the past could have been full long form videos, but instead he's found a way to make them engaging. He's telling whole stories. And I'm my entire point of short strategy is have a purpose, have story, have remarkability. When you actually are producing content that you yourself would watch with also the mindset of what is my audience actually looking for, that changes everything. YouTube presents a lot of opportunities to market yourself, and hopefully you're learning about some of those throughout this interview. But maybe YouTube's not for you. Maybe you're not interested in creating video content, and maybe you're looking for something a little bit more traditional, like a LinkedIn. You don't have to do video on LinkedIn, you just have to know how to build relationships. If you want to use LinkedIn to grow your voiceover business, check out Making Money with LinkedIn. It is my two-hour LinkedIn masterclass that is going to teach you how to set up your profile, teach you how to find new leads, how to reach out to them, how to nurture those relationships, and how to create content that is going to consistently keep you top of mind. 
it literally is my LinkedIn masterclass. It's called Making Money with LinkedIn, and it is available for instant viewing when you sign up at vopreneur.com. Click on the store button. vopreneur.com. Click on the store button. Look for Making Money with LinkedIn Masterclass. Now back to our show. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because this is just kind of my own random unscientific observation, but sure. I, I create shorts from you know, from the podcast, I'll grab mm -hmm. clips from the podcast and, and mm -hmm. edit it down into a short, or I'll grab a, a clip from free advice Friday and, and edit that down into a 30 or 40 second clip mm -hmm. or whatever. I've noticed that on TikTok, it just seems to fall flat. Is it fair to say that TikTok is more entertainment driven, but, but YouTube, there's a place for entertainment, but I mean, your example of, you know, giving a historical fact or whatever, mm -hmm. there's an audience for that. It seems like there's an audience for more education information on YouTube versus some of the other platforms. Is yes. That, is that fair? Yes and no. Uh, okay. Like, for example, Intrez, I built Intrez out of nothing over the course of 60 days. At the end of 60 days, Intrez on TikTok had 17.4K thousand. Wow. Yeah. 17,000. Actually, I think it was like 17,700. That was in 60 days of just me posting every single day, posting content that I was genuinely interested in. From there, I think it had like 20 million views on TikTok, Holy. almost a million likes. Like that was me doubling down on an idea and also proving because then if you look at the exact same content that I also posted on YouTube, I had, I went from zero to 5,500 subscribers and a total of 8 million views, okay. right? And I haven't posted on it recently because I've been working on other things. I've been building out the consultancy. I've been working on my eventual YouTube course. But my point being, I found a niche. I yep. found something I was able to double down on. Every platform will have its baseline interest. It is truly a matter of you understanding what your audience is actually watching and what they're looking for. But then on top of that, let's think of top of funnel again. Let's look at this example. If you are only producing content for voiceover advice, you are down in the funnel, mm -hmm. right? Yes, Instead, I am. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's totally fair. But you, Mark Scott, have such a presence in the voiceover community, you have a built-in audience. You have someone who is, like anyone who is baseline familiar with marketing in voiceover, they're going to say Mark Scott, right? If they're in our niche, if they're yep. in our world yep. now, for example, if you went bigger, right, if you went more general where you were bringing in voice actors like Troy Baker or Sarah Natacheni, bigger voice actors who have worked on Pokemon or Last of Us or stuff like that, and you were making a podcast all about acting that happen to have a voiceover component, right? Yep. Then you would have more viewers because sure. you're going higher up in the funnel. Yep. So this is this is where like my advice kind of I have to say again, it's a yes or no situation, right? TikTok, there's a lot of voice actors on there shouting into the void. Yep. Because they're they're only talking about voiceover. Yep. How can those voice actors and I look at Stefan Johnson as a great example of this. Yes, absolutely. Stefan is a voice actor who is a phenomenal VO, by the way, who has other interests in his content pillars that have a more top of funnel general approach. He talks about snacks. He talks, uh, he talks about snacks. He talks about, um, you know, what in the ever loving is going on here, 
right? Yep. Sorry for cursing. I don't <laughs> care. You know, he is more than anything. It's react content. React content does super well no matter the platform, so long as you figure out your audience and your targeting. If he was only talking about this is my life as a voice actor, he goes down in the bottom of the funnel yep. and he can still make that content, but it's not going to be as traction heavy as some of his other content where he's simply using his deep voice, a voice that few of us can even hope to have talking about more general ideas, snacks, fast food, all that sort. So then you need to think about if you're producing content as a voice actor, what are your content pillars for a more general top of funnel idea that you can talk about passionately? I want to I want to expand on this because sure. this is a conversation that I've had with with voice actors. I actually just before this interview, I had a, a session with somebody and mm. we, we t I pitched her an idea for a podcast that she could do based on what she was telling me about herself. And she's like, I never thought about that before. Because the assumption is if I'm going to do voiceover marketing content, I need to be talking about voiceover, which no, is don't. why voice actors do voiceover content on TikTok, right. Instagram, right. whatever, right? Because they assume that in order for it to have marketing value to your voiceover business, it needs to be about voiceover. Uh -huh. And my argument was always, look, if you, if you are a passionate shoe collector and you have traveled the world to get all the Jordans, then and, and <laughs> good luck, by the way, good luck. Yeah. But if you <laughs> if you've done that successfully and uh -huh. you created a, 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 a YouTube channel, a video podcast or something around mm. that around sneakers, around sneakerhead yeah, culture, it's inevitable that there are people that are watching that show. I, I don't, this is going to come as a shock, but people who make decisions about voiceover happen to wear shoes. And if so, I, if I may, yes, right from my own example. So SCP explained the YouTube channel that I voice. I am the voice of. There's no other voices on that. Two point eight million subscribers, and okay. SCP I kind of talk about as like the millennial Gen Z X Files, right? Okay. Like that kind of gives you an idea. Like it's entirely fictitious, or is it? The SCP Secure, Contain, Protect Foundation containing anomalies. And so basically it's an entire community, yes anding, of all of these different anomalies that are contained by the foundation. That said, a video game company in Poland reached out to me because they liked my voice from SCP Explained and not only hired me to be the host of their 2022 recap, but also voice in their games. Yep. Like from my work on YouTube, I think from that client, I grossed north of like 7K, right? And that has happened time and time again from other platforms that I've built of people reaching out to me, not only to sponsor my videos, but also hire me because they like my voice. And so this is, this is the myth, I think that probably one of the most important myths that needs to be busted is just this idea mm -hmm. that, if I'm going to take advantage of YouTube or, or you know, it really any of the, the platforms, mm -hmm. obviously today we're talking about YouTube, but right. if we're going to be taking advantage of these social media outlets, it's got to be about voiceover. And the no, reality it is it absolutely doesn't because it shouldn't. There's it really something shouldn't. else that you're passionate about that you can right. speak about passionately and create right. great content around. I, I want to go back to shorts just for a minute. Absolutely. How important, in your opinion, is mm. production quality? Like, it's not. 
Does it matter if it's just you standing in front of a camera? I know that they say that audio quality actually matters more than video quality. Significantly. But but does it have to, like, I think one of the things that holds people back is this belief that, you know, I've, I've got to spend four hours editing this video with all these different clips because there are people that do that. But if I, the content me. itself is good, right? does the production have to be anything no. super fancy? It, it shouldn't, honestly. There is a narrative bias for anyone who wants to get into content creation that you need to have a great camera and great lighting and all of this and high production value. No, you don't. When I was at Beast, I literally had George Widom come in and redo their studios to record voiceover, right? And for gaming or for Reacts or whatever. Yep. Jimmy's preferred way of recording voiceover is a lavalier mic. Yep. <laughs> and most people, if you watch shorts that have millions of views, how are they actually narrating? They're holding a DJI or a Rode Go microphone that's synced to their phone and they're shooting on their phone. Like right now, my webcam right here is my iPhone 13 Pro, yep. literally linked to my computer via Elgato. Yep. And I will later today probably record some TikTok content because I finally got this working. But like I already have my 416. I'm fine there. Nine times out of 10, though, the the lower production value content feels more human, feels more real, feels more organic. You can have good editing. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think the bigger thing here that we want to talk about is less. How can you have higher production values, better editing, better cameras instead? How can you have higher storytelling values? Yeah. How can you tell better stories than anyone else? I want anyone here, if you're not familiar with Ryan Trahan on YouTube, I want you to go and watch his content because he shoots everything on either an iPhone 14 Pro yep. or a Sony A7S II. And his production value is some of the lowest value in comparison to anyone else, yep. right? Working at Veritasium, working at Mr. Beast, my entire directive from anyone was how can we make this feel real like it's just a bunch of friends who went out and just shot a video yep. right that's the whole idea so ryan trahan's content like he took a penny across the united states in 30 days to give it to mr beast and the entire time he was raising money for charity really cool concept right yep. and it literally reinvented the vlogging genre on YouTube because there was purpose behind the daily vlogs, but all of his content, all of his edits are honestly the most basic, straightforward edits possible. Like it looks like some of his animations were literally screen records from Photoshop. Like they're not actual animations, right? And that's not to say that there's no place for high production value content. Sure. Like the 100% there is, but in my mind, if I'm going to produce content and I'm literally about to start a new channel just about, you know, doing silly entertainment things because I want to, we're going to shoot it on phones and we're going to shoot it with lav mics and my entire, like I'm going to put as much value in front of the camera and in the ideation of the content rather than trying to up level all of my gear. Because I don't need that. No one really needs that. I tell voice actors all the time. I mean, if you've got if, if you've got an iPhone, right, yep. you've got yep. a, a top quality camera. And so yep. it's nice to hear you say that because I know that we allow some of those those myths 
to mm-hmm. be the the barrier to entry for us no. to even get started, right? I don't have this camera. I don't have this microphone. I don't have this thing, right? I mean, I spent a whole crap ton of money mm-hmm. uh, last December on some key lighting and, uh, you know, a, a stream deck. You're probably familiar with the stream deck. And I, it, I am staring at one yeah, right here yeah. in my booth. And I have four of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I bought some stuff to make my live streams easier for me to operate, but mm-hmm. none of those things were necessary for me to Not do the live stream. No. It's just, this is the, the upgrade that, that eventually comes, but I, and I'll also give an example of how people are really kind of focused less on the absolute peak of quality and instead more on just like sheer content. I have turned in multiple auditions on the road that were recorded with a lav mic into my phone. And my agents and my managers don't know that don't until know. right now. <laughs> so I want I want to ask you a question then because this sure. brings up another interesting point since we're talking about content strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's just go back to the well, you know what? Let's let's use me. I have a okay. YouTube channel. Yep. On my YouTube channel, I share my voiceover podcast. I do my free advice Friday live mm-hmm. stream. I share voiceover videos for voice actors, et cetera. And I've I've worked mm-hmm. at building up that channel and trying to get an audience and a following. Mm-hmm. you're saying you don't have to do uh, voiceover content in order for it to have value to your voiceover business. No. So I'm going to start, I don't know, I'm going to start making videos about barbecue. because I. Oh, yes, right? you should. Okay. No, d- no, so, absolutely. So, I, I'm so glad you said this because I wanted this podcast to me being con- like, for me to content pillar a barbecuing channel for you. Okay, so let's so, talk about that. Th- well, that was the question then. Do I, if I'm creating this barbecue content, is that going on the channel that I've already established for voiceover no. or am I building out a Brand totally new second, channel. separate channel? Now? Brand new channel. Yeah. So yeah. that's the one thing to keep in mind for voice actors who have, because there's a lot of voice actors who have started YouTube channels and, right. and maybe they put their demos up there or they put up samples of work that they've been mm-hmm. able to collect or, you know, they're sharing mm-hmm. some voiceover related content. You're saying if you're going to go into one of these other pillars, that's a that's a second channel scenario. Well, so the example that you gave earlier, right? My personal channel, Hi There Hunter, has 21,000 subscribers. I have literally only put my demos on there. I have not actually done anything. That is ancillary subscribers from my other channels okay. who have found me. I have literally no content plan on that channel. I probably will at some point, but... It has to be around a specific idea. Limonade is about memes, right? SCP Explained is about SCPs. Any of my new channels are going to have their specific content pillars, and that's all they do. So, like, some YouTubers, they are really big into video games and anime. Yep. That's the only content they will make, right? So if you're if you are passionate about a thing and I talk about this in the course of find your core passion something that yep. you can talk about for hours and hours and hours a yep. day but also that you have a deep well of knowledge on so from that your deep well of knowledge is then going to be amplified by you producing content that is basically just you presenting it as is like a really good example that I think if you were to make this, if you were to go out and shoot this short this weekend, this would get a ton of views. How to properly smoke a brisket. Because I literally just learned how to do that on a Traeger, and that is hard, man. People don't realize that you could go 18 hours on one of these things. <laughs> I 
we did 12, 12 hours. I woke up at 4 a.m. and I'm tired. I'm still <laughs> tired from that. It was great. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's like if you come from a place of how long have you been smoking meat, for example? How long have you been barbecuing? Uh, probably with, probably with four years now, maybe. Okay, cool. So you can so instead of having a year component of saying a voice actor dad who just loves to barbecue, if that is your one thing, like or who has a passion for barbecue, if that is your headline and the only content that you're putting out is like, hey, I learned this thing and you should know it too. This is how to actually smoke a brisket, right? Yeah. If you start every video of this is how to do blank, right? Because then you're creating engaging narrative tutorial content, right? You're starting out with an immediate hook of if I want to know how to properly cook a brisket or properly cook a rack of ribs, I will go on YouTube. I will find these videos. Yep. And if you properly name it, you properly metadata and you also set the expectation, deliver on the expectation and honestly supersede the expectation give your viewers more than they bargained for there is a massive massive search index like i could literally go into google trends right now and i could look up barbecue on youtube and yep. i could show you mass interest because yep. that is top of funnel yep so for anyone who's listening right now if you have an interest like this that you can talk about that you have authority in in even just your sphere of influence you can easily talk about that online by simply sharing your experience. That's it. So do you then, if you've got that voiceover channel because you've put mm -hmm. all your demos, you've got a huge yep. portfolio of your work or whatever, yep. do you cross-promote those two things then so that you make the connection from, you know, um, like I do voice, by the way, I do voiceover or are you hoping will, that people look you up? I will normally just have links in a description, okay. right? So like if you go to an SCP Explained video, literally anyone, you click, you know, view more in the description and you'll see narrated by hi there, Hunter, right? There are examples of people taking dead channels, fully pivoting them and, you know, amplifying their view counts and so on and so forth. But it's very few and far between. If you have a new idea, just start a new channel. There's an example um, online. I'm blanking on his name, but there was a YouTuber who primarily only produced educational docu content. So like telling stories about, Oh uh, gosh, it was uh, prison escapes or historical events, okay. stuff like that. Yep. He got like maybe a hundred thousand subscribers and he was doing a couple million views, but it just wasn't what he was passionate about. And right. he just got burnt out and he started a brand new channel where he was just making entertainment content, like how fast he could become a rapper on Spotify <laughs> or like, you know, challenge based content. Okay. Yep. He got a million subscribers in 60 days. That's insane because he doubled down on a brand new idea on a brand new channel. Something this is very, very common. Something that he's more passionate about too. Exactly, exactly. Okay, I wanna, I wanna touch on, you mentioned metadata when we were talking yes. about this, if you put in the right metadata to help you right. get found. So mm -hmm. we're talking titles, description, tags, categories, et cetera. Which ones of those matter? Do they all matter? Titles most matter, tags do not matter whatsoever. Okay. Tags really have no weight. And that is true across YouTube. It's true across TikTok. So what's um, it there for? I'm curious because you're not the first person that I've heard mm -hmm. say that. And I'm like, what, <sighs> why make me sit here and fill all of this out if it doesn't because really have relevance? It's more of a manual sorting. Tags are more for human beings to manually sort based on interest. So if like, for example, on 
TikTok. If someone uses the tag, um, God, Dr. Pepper, right? And you click that, then you're going to want to see more Dr. Pepper content. Right. But instead, if you have an interesting title, that is a question, that is a declarative statement, that is something that is insane. Like, if you're going to barbecue a brisket, do not do this, right? right? Declarative statement. Yep. That's going to get more interest than any tag cloud that you could potentially have in a title or in a description. My personal advice to someone on YouTube is if you're really, if you feel passionate that you want to tag something, just have one or two and put that in the description so that it doesn't actually be seen on the um, titles. Because I've been testing that on my own, just my own hypotheses. I personally don't really see a benefit like at all. Well, that was going to be one of my questions, because if you upload a YouTube short, you go into your phone and you you upload your short, uh-huh. it will pop up when you're writing the, the title slash description of a short, because that's mm. it is different from a regular uploaded YouTube video. Correct. It prompts you to, you know, suggested hashtags that you could include in the title. So do you title hashtags in the title for shorts? Yes or no? Or does it, does uh, it matter? I'm, I'm playing I'm, with this, too. I'm 50 50. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, honest to God, I'm 50 50. Um, I personally think if you have good quality content, you're going to get more interest if you have a simple, straightforward title that's less than 50 characters. Yeah. Because think about it this way the YouTube homepage is only going to show titles that are less than 50 characters um, in their full phrase. I would honestly okay. say less than 45. Like if you can make a simple engaging title that is less than 45 characters, because then someone is going to see the full string, yep. right? Yep. Um, for long form YouTube content, less than 54 characters for short form YouTube content, less than 45. That's kind of my personal rule of thumb. Again, you can use tags if you want. I just, I see no benefit. I've seen some benefit of using emojis, like emo- like a emoji here and there yep. can actually help. Sure. But again, I just, I don't see the purpose. I would rather just see something that is the declarative statement, a question, something that's more engaging to increase someone to actually say, that's interesting. I'm going to click on it now. So I know you could probably teach an entire masterclass just on the subject of thumbnails. (laughs) So give us the, if you were going to create your masterclass on thumbnails, but then you were going to edit it down into a YouTube short. Yeah. Give us the YouTube shorts version of what are some things that we need to take into consideration with thumbnails? Because I will admit to you, this is like the bane of my existence. I know my thumbnails suck. I know the harder that I try to make better thumbnails, the worse they seem to get. (laughs) What what are a couple of things that we should be taking into consideration? Big text rather than small text. Okay. Simple phrases, right? Don't use red arrows. That's so 2018. (laughs) Okay. Or, yep. or red circles or whatever. Yep. Don't do that. Like if, if I don't know why I'm giving this example, I'm giving this example. If you make a video about a plane crash, right? And your thumbnail isn't anything that is the actual crash, right? I am not going to give a shit. Yeah. Right. The bigger thing with thumbnails is let's, let's think about this for a second of a movie poster. Your title thumbnail is your movie's title and your movie's poster. The best posters, and this is true literally across any poster, think about the best movie poster you have ever seen. The one that really sticks out in your head. Mark, what's yours? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I think I'm, 
I'm instinctively thinking Ghostbusters or Back to the Future just because those okay. are two of my favorite movies and I can actually but picture think, the posters. Exactly. Yeah. Because think about the posters. Think about what's actually on the posters. Yep. Single character, single item, right? Single title. Yep. There is no complexity. Back to the Future 3 has a train, Wild West, like I can go on and on about all the different things that are in Back to the Future 3. What is actually the poster for Back to the Future 3? It is the DeLorean with Marty McFly with a cowboy hat yep. or something like that. I think that's I think that was the US poster. It yep. is simple, it is straightforward, and the only difference is the clothing and the title. And that's it. So let's think about this from a YouTube video, right? Some of the best thumbnails are the ones that have the most simplistic elements that use baseline color theory or are just easy to understand no matter the size of the thumbnail. If you have a ton of text in your thumbnail, no one is going to actually be able to see that because yep. quite frankly, if you're on your phone and you're scrolling and you want to see a, the next video that you want to watch, because yep. here's the other thing with thumbnails, YouTube is also starting to do five second autoplay. So what in your first five seconds of your video is actually going to engage a user because they're going to see that more than they're going to see your thumbnail unless it's in the sidebar on a desktop. So that is going to be even more important now in yeah. this new era than just your thumbnail. So now my challenge to anyone is how can you simply summate your entire video's idea in a thumbnail with only one or two elements, single text phrase of, th there was a great video that I, I cite a lot, which is the story, like the true story of what happened to the dodo. And the thumbnail is simply black, a dodo, and white text that says, you've been lied to. That's it. And that video has north of like 7 million Sparks views. curiosity, right? You exactly. Know, right. Exactly. The real, the truth behind what happened to the dodo. That's it. They might have changed the title by now, but great example. Yeah. So I think the other thing too, when you're, I guess, is is making sure when you're creating these thumbnails is, mm -hmm. is looking at how does it look on the phone? Because yes. that's where a lot of the traffic is coming from. So it is, it is one of the other things that you've got to take into consideration. Well, and there's also um, a couple different platforms where you can literally upload your thumbnails and see what it looks like in the feed. In the feed, um, thumbnailpreview.com, thumbnailtest.com, test my thumbnails, thumblytics. Like there are literally whole platforms where you can just test thumbnails of how they look. So then, once you've made a thumbnail, take yourself out of the person who created the video and actually see it from a viewer's yeah. perspective. Yep. What are they going to see when they see your video in the feed? Will they actually click it? Good point. I know, I understand how important thumbnails and titles are. And it's yeah. funny because I think it's one of those things where I could probably look at somebody else's YouTube video and say, you should have done this or you should have uh -huh. used that. But when it comes to my own content, I'm like, man, I'm second guessing myself constantly. I don't even know how many times I've gone back and changed a title later on down the road, which I mean, maybe yeah. that's a question. Does that, does it make a difference? If I, yeah, if I change a title on an old video, will that respark? 100%. Okay. 100%. Title thumbnail. If you change it later on, here's the thing. An algorithm will never stop testing a video. It right. will never stop testing content, right? There are examples where videos after 
900, 1,000 days where they changed one or two things around the packaging of their video and suddenly it skyrockets. Right. This is very common. There are no shadow bans on YouTube. Like, I'm just going to say that right now. That's honestly total utter bolt. A shadow ban is simply you not understanding your audience's needs, wants, and preferences around the content that you have set. So, for example, on Limonade, a big type of content that my viewers loved that built the channel in the early days was Country Balls, Country Balls comics. I stopped making Country Balls videos because I was trying to chase trends. Instead, if I just simply doubled down on Country Balls content, which I'm now doing, yep. and I'm now producing even better videos around that specific content pillar, I am then able to actually deliver the needs of my viewers at a level that I wasn't before. Right. So if I change my title, if I change my thumbnail, the algorithm will eventually pick that up if they find a new viewer who finds your video because they're, they're still going to be testing to try and find the right model. So if they test a video of yours that's five years old that you just changed the title thumbnail on maybe a couple weeks before and a new viewer clicks on it, a new viewer engages because of how you packaged it, the algorithm suddenly perks up. Okay. It's then saying, okay, this person clicked. Why did this person click? Right. And it could be for any example where it's an outside user who wanted to learn more about Mark Scott, but they're not subscribed to Mark Scott. So Mark Scott's new video that he just changed title thumbnail on gets picked up by the algorithm. And then the algorithm can then sort based on that new viewer. And that's all algorithms are. They just sort. They are not intelligent by any stretch of the imagination. So it's worth revisiting some of your past content. If you've done YouTube stuff in, in, in the past, right. it's worth revisiting it and taking some of the things you've learned from this interview. And, you know, I'm going to tweak that thumbnail. Or I'm going to change that, Correct. that title because it, it might make a difference. So we talked about, we've talked about content yes. and, and content pillars. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about posting strategy. So I'm, sure. I'm curious, like you, you, you were talking about your interest channel and, and, yeah. you know, making these videos, mm -hmm. is there rules or best practices about, you know, if you're going to post on Monday, post every Monday, or if you're going to post at a time, post at yeah. a, a certain time or, you know, post once a week or post every day, or it depends on the content. Okay. Right? So in my consultancy, what I say to any client, whenever they sign up for like, I have packages, my tier yep. one, tier two, tier three, tier one is just literally me giving you advice and, you know, installing my pipeline and all that. There's no actual content production. Okay. Tier two and tier three starts with four long form videos a month and minimum 10 shorts. Okay. From there, it then gets amplified into tier three. But my personal position is long form into short, no matter what, have consistency. If you're uploading a long form video, you need to be uploading once every 21 days to avoid churn. Okay. Basically, churn is when the algorithm de-weights a video or de-weights your content in general. This is also not to say that this is set in stone by any stretch of the imagination because there are examples of old channels that haven't posted in years posting a new video and it going viral, going trending. So like, don't accept this as law, but really aim to upload long form videos every 21 days. Can Try we just, and stay within churn. Can we just clarify long sure. form for people? I want to make sure they understand when you say long form, are you just saying anything that's 
beyond longer 60 seconds, minute. which makes yes. it longer than a YouTube short. So Correct. when we say long form, we're not necessarily saying it's a one hour live stream. Exactly. It, it could be a 90 second video and that would 90 be 90 second form. video. Okay. Whenever I'm talking about long form, um, I'm always talking about 16 by nine long form YouTube content. And, or if you have long form videos on TikTok, there's a new meta of waiting on TikTok for videos that are longer than a minute. So if you produce a long form video for YouTube, that's in 16 by nine, have that same video in a nine by 16 format that you can then post on TikTok. So if you have a six minute video, I would then say, break it up into two parts, post a three, a three minute part one on TikTok, and then a three minute part two. Okay. And always have it linked back to your YouTube channel because YouTube, if you're thinking about it from a revenue driver is going to pay you more than TikTok just on a baseline. Yeah. So from there, if you're posting once every 21 days, or in my client's examples, they're posting once a week, pick your days and stick with your days. Okay. If you miss your day, that's okay, but try and stick to it as much as possible. If you're producing shorts, say Intrez, for example, um, we've been off, but we're about to be back on where we're going to be doing 15 to 20 videos a month. Okay. Instead of, I was at a point where I was doing one a day. Yeah. That is exhausting. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't suggest people do that. Instead, what I suggest is figure out something that is sustainable in your schedule. For me, I know that I can voice at the beginning of the month, 15, 20 videos. I hand that off to an editor. Within the next week, I have 20 videos that I can then schedule for upload. Okay. And I'm good. Right. And then I just, I continue to repeat the process. I then define, okay, so if I'm, if I have 20 videos, I choose four days a week. I choose... Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. For interest, those are the days that work for me. Okay. Look at the days when you've posted in the past where you've gotten views. Yep. Look, Just look at that on a baseline. Look at your immediate pump. I always look at the, the first 24, 48 hours of where my traffic is coming from. Is it current subscribers? Is it new viewers? Where is it coming from? And how can I then support that later on? Right. So. For example, Intrez has a lot of traction Monday evenings. I'm then going to post a video a couple hours before that Monday evening on TikTok. So my ideal upload time on Mondays is 1 p.m. Okay. That just is what works for me. That's not to say that's going to work for you as well. You're going to figure it out just by putting out content. And that's the other thing that I really want to emphasize in this podcast. Make content, make videos. Don't say you're going to do it and not do it. Just put it out. Yeah. Just get, get over all of the excuses that you've given yourself because I think, I think we've debunked a lot of myths on this. Yes. So uh, just a couple questions that I, I want to ask. Sure. One of the things that I learned years ago from Tony Robbins was the idea of modeling, right? Don't go mm. out and reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, find people who are doing the thing that you want to do, who are doing mm -hmm. it well, pay attention mm -hmm. to what they're doing, model mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. um, I know you mentioned one person earlier, Ryan, sorry, I forget the name. Ryan Trahan. Ryan Trahan. Are there yep. any other YouTubers that you think that we should be paying attention to? And you mentioned them and, and I'll get them from you after and we'll include sure. them in the show notes as well. But who do you think is doing really well that we could watch and we could we could learn from? Or does it well, depend on what you're doing? It, it it depends on what you're doing, Okay. right? If you want to make challenge content and you want to make just pure entertainment, engaging, whatever, look at Ryan Trahan, look at Eric, Cody Ko, gosh, uh, Jordy's. 
I, I mean, <laughs> that's that's like this is such a loaded question yeah. because like there are so many great YouTubers in multiple different niches. Like, I'm very passionate about the Cold War and World War II okay. of you know as most white men are. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it, it is a common thread. We can't ignore it. Like, I have a deep passion for that. In in particular. I specifically have a passion for nuclear history. Okay. So Mark Felton, Mark Felton's World uh, World War II stories, or it's War Stories by Mark Felton. That's okay. what it is. He's just a great YouTuber who simply, his entire shtick is talking about niche battles in World War II. He has 2 million subscribers wow. and dude polls probably about 25 million views a month. And he just does that. That's all he does. So like, if you're interested in history, that's a good example. But in terms of general YouTubers who are really taking off, Ryan Trahan, Iraq, Cody Ko. And these are also people who have been at it for a very long time and only very recently found success. I mean, like you can always say Mr. Beast, but like the thing with Mr. Beast is like when you're at the top of your game, where do you go from there? Yeah. You know? and, 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 and it, and it kind of changes the rules of the game too like we don't all have mr yes. beast budgets to work with and yes and... and no because like when i gave my talk at one voice the a question i received which i think was very fair of like well you give mr beast as all these examples but we don't have those resources we don't have those teams why are you saying that when we're just getting started it's like no look at his storytelling look at his packaging break the video down look break past the video the, down the understand why he produces that content because you could make those videos with literally zero dollars and they'd probably be bad, but it'd also probably be funny and because it, it has that give you exactly. content to get you started. Right. Exactly. Right. His video where he didn't eat for 30 days. Right. It was a failure of a video because he, he had to eat at some point because Gordon Ramsay was on one of his videos uh, and he was you know, shooting multiple videos at once. And Gordon Ramsay literally had him try his eggs. And by the way, if you've never had like specifically how Gordon Ramsay makes his eggs, very good, very good. <laughs> I had it at one of his restaurants, but you know, he literally starved himself for 30 days. Anyone could do that video, right? Anyone could do yep. the videos that anyone is putting out. I think the bigger thing here is, Go into an incognito tab on YouTube. And I think I gave this advice in the last time I was on here. Go into an incognito tab, go to YouTube, and just look at the content that is being suggested to a brand new user. Yep. You're not signed in. There's no cookies, nothing. Yep. Look at the first eight videos or the first four shorts in the carousel. Why is that content being suggested? Think about it critically. So then you can take that and understand from a storytelling perspective. Yep. Why is that content reaching to the top? Don't look at music videos. Don't look at movie trailers because that has paid components behind it. Look at original, you know, content that exists in Evergreen on YouTube. That's the name of the game. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. And, and it is something that I've, I've played around with a, a little bit as well. So, I mean, if I was summarizing the last 45 minutes or 50 minutes, yeah. however long we've been talking, um, what, yeah. I'm, what I'm really walking away with is, Find something that you're passionate about that you can mm -hmm. you can build a niche around, but not necessarily mm -hmm. too small of a niche. Correct. And and get over all of your excuses because the barriers to entry are if you have an iPhone or whatever. If you have a phone, you have, you have the tools phone, that man. you need. Exactly. Yeah, you have the tools that you need to get started. Now, 
you, you've referenced it a couple of times and so I want to get into, I know you're offering a new course that is going yes. to help people to figure some of this stuff out. And yeah. I mean, I, I'm just, as I'm listening to you talking, I'm like, okay, I got some ideas of things, right? I'm like, I keep trying to make my voiceover channel work and I'm like, I'm doing it all wrong. I need to just, not that I need to abandon that, but no. that's not going to be the moneymaker for me potentially Correct. from YouTube, but Correct. tell us a little bit about the course, what yeah. we're going to learn and, and how we can get access to it. So right now, um, it's called YouTube for VO. Um, and it's literally the idea of what I've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, which is how can voice actors build entire channels or honestly media brands yep. around a baseline interest they have outside of voiceover that simply leverages their voice. Yep. This is content that you can produce that you don't even need to be on camera for. Yeah. There are some gurus and some you know individuals out there who produce these uh, YouTube automation courses and I see the benefit of that, but that's someone who's literally trying to run a business, hiring other voice actors, yada, yada, yada. No, this is all about finding your core passion and voicing content that you are passionate about that you can create finding, you know, editors on Fiverr for only maybe like 50 or $60 to start. And, you know, obviously you can also edit it yourself. Sure. It's all about storytelling. Finding yeah. your core story, finding your core passion, and building a media company around your voice. It's just like how you talk about, you know, voice. a voice actor needs to be a media business, right? All I am suggesting and all I'm teaching in this course is how you can build a second one that can become an organic SEO driver to your business yep. and also can become an ancillary revenue source so long as you figure out how to properly monetize it. And if you're talking about something that you you love, you know, a subject matter that you you are passionate about, it's something that's really fun for you to do mm -hmm. and and you're, you're marketing your voiceover business without even realizing that you're marketing your voiceover business because exactly. you're building content, building recognition. Exactly. All right. So if somebody wants to find the course, get signed up for the course, is there a website? Where do we need to go? What do we need to you do? You go to YouTube. YouTubevo.com. Um, YouTubevo.com. Okay. It's it's really straightforward. The course is about two and a half hours right now. It okay. might go longer because there are some things that just changed. Like for example, um, YouTube just rolled out a tool where if you upload a short that's part of a larger video, there's an immediate link through. So okay. now you can organically generate viewers from the short to the long form, which just becomes another revenue driver. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to update it um, as much as I can. There are components of the course where I talk about where you can find work as a voice actor. That is less of the focus now. When I first yeah. started working on this course, when I first started ideating, you know, it was, oh, where can you find jobs on YouTube? I'm not going to lie. A lot of YouTubers are either going to do it themselves or they're going to go AI. Yep. There are very few where they want to leverage a voice and, and pay or, or the ones that do are probably not paying the rates that we're wanting to. Right. Yeah. Like I, I feel very lucky with Limonade and SCP explained where I have competitive rates, but those are so few and far between that my suggestion instead is spend a little bit more time and actually create content because that's the thing with channels. They are annuities. They yep. pay you every single day, even if you don't upload. Yep. So long as you have an upload schedule, it will pay you once you hit the threshold. Yep. And it is possible. I think that's yeah. the other thing. I think that, well, you, we might as well touch on it now since you mentioned mm -hmm. it. YouTube recently lowered the barriers to 
monetization, Correct. right? So that that makes it a little bit easier. For... It's, the one thing, though, with that barrier of monetization is it's not standard ads or ad units in the content. It's more of like if your subscribers want to have memberships or if you want to sell merch or stuff like that, that's kind of the barrier, right? That's what they lowered. The bigger thing here is... It's either going to be a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours for ad units, right, on long form content, okay, or a thousand subscribers and ten million shorts views in a ninety day period. I that is your target for true monetization. I think the other thing that we're that we probably need to focus on here a, a little bit too, like, okay, so for my YouTube channel, I'm making mm -hmm. you know. 10 bucks a month. Like mm -hmm. I'm not making money off of YouTube. I mm -hmm. don't get nearly enough views to make money off of YouTube. Right. Where monetization has come for me is in creating awareness and credibility for myself. And, and as people get to know me, they look into my courses and, and you know, buy my courses or whatever. Correct. The idea, I think part of what you're, you're presenting to voice actors here is create this channel, do this thing. Monetization on YouTube would be great, you know, work towards mm -hmm. that. But ultimately mm -hmm. you monetize what you're doing by people being interested in your voice and wanting exactly. you to tell their story. And so it's, exactly. it's more about being a monetization is more about it being a marketing tool for your voiceover business than it is about making millions of dollars on YouTube. That is correct. Yeah. And, and the bigger thing here is what I call passion channels or niche channels, niche interests. So like if you love baseball, if you love basketball and you only create content around that, yep. you are going to find a niche. It's not going to be as big as say, you know, the subscriber base for like Eric or Mr. Beast or Ryan Trahan, but you are still going to find a very passionate audience base yep. so long as you are serving content they're actually going to care about and then you'll be able to monetize it from there. Again, you're just voicing a niche and a passion that you have innately. Right. I love it. All right, Hunter. Well, this has been very enlightening and I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, YouTubeVO.com is the yes, website sir. for the course. Check that out if you are interested in. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think it's just we need to. The, the biggest hurdle is just thinking beyond the voiceover box. Get that out of the, Get out of the little voiceover box and start thinking about all of the other content possibilities that are out there. So thank you for, for helping us to, to figure that out. You are more than welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. This interview has got me totally reevaluating my YouTube and video content strategy, and hopefully it's done the same for you. In fact, since recording this interview, I've already made changes to my primary YouTube channel, and I have created a secondary YouTube channel that I'm starting to work on ideas for because I really want to do things well and do things effectively. And I learned a ton from Hunter in this interview. If you've enjoyed this, could you do me a favor and let us know? Post an Instagram story showing that you were listening and enjoying the podcast. Make sure you tag me at Mark Scott. And could you do me one other quick favor? Leave a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast and let me know that you are enjoying the content and that you are learning new things that are helping you to grow your business. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday VOpreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. You have a great website, right? Well, make sure you host it at some place that doesn't suck. Hey, it's Brad Newman, fellow VO Pro for 28 years and owner of UpperLevelHosting.com. People ask why us, and that's simple. We make it easy, respect your time, save you money, and just make all the magic happen. You don't need to know all the tech stuff when it comes to hosting your website. We got you. 
ask around tens of thousands of client interactions later and six years of amazing customer service and not a single negative complaint ever. UpperLevelHosting.com And see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for hanging out. Want more VOPreneur goodness? Jump online at VOPreneur.com.